Good morning. If you have a Bible, you can open with me to Lamentations chapter one, and we'll go there in just a moment. It's been a tough week, yeah? Those of you at home, we're glad you're joining us. I've been praying just long and hard about what um, God might have me share with you this morning. We're gonna do our overview of the book of Lamentations. As I told you last week, we're beginning a study in that book today, but I've just been praying for you, praying for God's guidance as to what I might share with you uh, in light of the events this week at the Capitol and what words of encouragement, what words of perhaps guidance I might offer as your pastor, and I hope that you'll let me offer uh, as your pastor. And just three things have come to mind. I've just been praying and praying, and honestly, it was one of those times where sometimes I pray and the Lord feels like he gives me a word pretty quickly. It's like, hey, say this. I'm like, okay, I'll say that. And then other times I pray and I pray and nothing and pray some more and nothing and I pray some more and nothing. And this was one of those days and one of those weeks, I should say. So there's three things I want to offer you this morning. The first is this. We regularly, as a people, as Christians, we lament uh, that our society, we all recognize, is morally headed in a direction that we don't agree with. Uh, we lament the possible loss of religious liberties. We, we maybe even see on the horizon. And those are things worth lamenting. But I don't think this is the week to lament those things. I think this is the week to lament the violence that we saw on Wednesday, and in particular to lament a couple of things. I'm gonna invite you this week to join me in fasting and in prayer on Tuesday. On Tuesday, I wanna invite you to fast and to pray and ask God that no more of this would take place, that we'd see a peaceful transition of power. Uh, what we saw Wednesday was a, and that is worth grieving and lamenting is, uh, number one, the loss of life, that we grieve and lament when there's a loss of life, yes? These are people made in the image of God. And when life is lost, any life is lost. It's tragic and it should be grieved. That's number one. Number two, to be grieved and lamented is the threat to our ordered liberty that we experience under the grace of God as a good gift. Uh, and that came under threat this week. And it's worth lamenting that. That's problematic. And the third thing I think that's really worth lamenting is what we saw. Actually, there's a fourth thing, which I'm gonna get to in a minute. But the third thing is the out-and-out expressions of racism tied to the attack on the Capitol, where a lynching rope was put up on the Capitol steps, and we'd be remiss if we did not acknowledge that that is ant antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ and should be repented and lamented from. It should grieve us. I want to invite you to join me as your pastor. I'm just saying it's a week for lament. It's not a week to worry about what might take place as it relates to our religious liberties. Those are real concerns, and they're to be given real attention. So don't hear me dismissing that. But this is a week for grieving and lamenting what we saw took place. And the second thing I wanted to, to speak to you is, is just by, by way of encouragement, and I would say this in any time we encounter difficulty nationally or we encounter it as a church, is that God has not come off his throne. We have to go back to that again and again. And, and the Lord brought me to Psalm 46 this morning, and I just wanted to read it with you. It's a psalm that just reminds us that to be still before the Lord because he's on his throne. He has not ceased to be in control. And that we remember that. I don't know what your political persuasion is. I don't know how you feel about the results of the election or what you felt about, you know, in, in the week since the election. What I do know is that God will establish his kingdom it will come to pass, and it's important for us to remember that, whatever our perspective is on the political happenings of the day. So Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 
Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its dwelling, at its swelling, sorry. Can't see. <clears throat> there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So a word of lament, a word of encouragement to remember that the Lord will establish his kingdom. And then related to that, just one final thing. I would probably normally only offer those two things, but some of what we saw take place this week at the Capitol, the violence at the Capitol, the loss of life, the invasion of the Capitol was done in the name of, at least for some, preserving Christian virtue in our nation. And so I want to say to that, that it is important for we as the people of God to speak out against that and to say this is not how Christian virtue is preserved. It is counter to the gospel and it is counter to the ways of Christ. It does not bear the marks of his cross and it is not of him. And it's important that we declare that. Here's why, friends. We don't look to any one leader nor to any political party to establish the righteousness of God on the earth. He will establish it. And that makes us really able to do a couple things. It makes it possible for us when we don't like a leader, but they do something good, to say that was good. And say thank God for that. And it makes it possible when we support a leader and they do something wicked, to say that was wicked. And say that's not of the Lord. And not to be beholden to any one person or to any one party, but to say God is establishing his kingdom. And we as the people of God have to be so nuanced and wise and godly in our thinking that we are not beholden to any one human person or to any one political party. But we are a people who recognize good and evil and support good and call out evil regardless of the source. So when the attack took place and you saw the Christian flag being flown as people are invading the capital, we have to say, no, that is not the way of Christ. Because if we don't say that, the world looks on and says, this must be what the people of God think righteousness looks like, and it is not. I want to invite you to just consider those things. I hope you'll receive them from me. I'm gonna pray. And if you will, lament and grieve with me. Just do that before the Lord and then we're gonna look at our study, the book of Lamentations.
Lord, I, we are heavy-hearted. Thank you for guiding us to a study of the book of Lamentations in these days, not knowing what would take place in this last week. But Lord, we are always heavy-hearted by what we see in our society as a rejection of you and your ways. We're particularly heavy-hearted this week over acts of violence, loss of life. We pray in grief and lament for the family of those who lost their lives this week at the Capitol. We ask for your comfort and your nearness and your goodness. We don't know if they know you, but we pray that they'd be drawn to you supernaturally and miraculously through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would be so gentle and kind to them. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would forgive us as we continue to see sins like the sin of racism put on display. It's, it's a wickedness that is not of you and we ask you to help us as a people to repent and in any place where we've participated or uh, allowed it or not spoken out against it as injustice, forgive us. Forgive us and lead us in a new way. We pray for our brothers and sisters of color who see what took place at the Capitol and feel fear and pray that you comfort them and protect them. We pray for a peaceful transition of power now. We pray that no longer, no more violence would be brought forth, particularly no more violence in your name, Lord Jesus. We ask your forgiveness if we have put anything above you any allegiance above you, if we have imagined that anything would stop your kingdom from coming, if we have excused unrighteousness in the name of holding on to influence or power, help us. These are confusing times. We need you. Help us. Lead us. Thank you that we are never outside of your love in Christ Jesus. Help us to suffer with him. Help us to walk in wisdom and in victory with him. Help us to love each other and to love our neighbor. Help us to love each other and to love our neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I have no good introduction to the sermon. Uh, I'm just going to tell you this. We're going to study the book of Lamentations. I want to give you an overview today, and I'm going to move through it pretty quickly, but there's some things you need to understand. My guess is most of us have not recently read the book of Lamentations, uh, that it's not something that is, you may be familiar with a verse or two from it, but my guess is quite a bit of it you're unfamiliar with, and so I want to introduce you to a little bit of the background today, and I want to just say this, that my, the, the thing I want you to hold in your mind, hold in your heart throughout the whole of this series is that learning to lament for every individual Christian and for every church family is necessary. It's important. It's important for believers 
and for believers in union as a church to learn to have lament as a part of their lives. And I wanna explain why today. So I wanna give you a little background. I wanna explain why lament is so important. Then I wanna show you what biblical lament looks like because we're gonna see similar elements throughout this whole book. There's five chapters in the book of Lamentations and we're gonna see similar things come forward, themes come forward. So my goal today is that you would walk out with a sense of understanding what lament is so that in the weeks ahead as we look at it more closely that you would begin to be able to practice it in your life in the way that God calls us to. So let me give you a couple of need to knows about the book of Lamentations. So uh, what is a lament? Let's start with that question because you might be thinking, I don't even know what a lament is. In fact, you might, it could be your first time in church today and you might be thinking, I've never even heard that word, right? So lament is not just, you might think of like grieving, right? You might think of sadness, but lament is not just being sad. All right, sadness is a part of lamenting, but you can't just say, well, I'm sad and therefore I'm like practicing a biblical version of lament uh, as the scriptures sort of paint the picture of it. So here's what lament is, just a simple definition. Lament is a prayer that arises from suffering and need. That's my simple definition. Lament is a prayer, which means it's a conversation with the Lord that arises that arises from suffering and need. And in particular, it's a, it's a prayer that says, God, would you see my circumstances and deliver me from them? Would you change what's going on right now, these things that I am suffering underneath? That, so that's what lament is, those expressions of sorrow to God in hopes that he'll do something. Now, a couple of interesting things to keep in mind. Lamentations is not the only book of the Bible where we see laments. In fact, uh, anywhere from one-third of the Psalms to 40% of the Psalms, so, so 50 or more of the Psalms are laments or categorized by theologians or scholars as laments, meaning as you, if you read through the Psalms with any regularity, you're regularly encountering this biblical idea of lamenting before the Lord, prayers offered to God that are full of sorrow, or an expression of sorrow. I'll give you an example of a couple of those. Psalm 10, you know, if you want to do a little supplemental reading in the week. Psalm 10, Psalm 13, Psalm 22, Psalm 77, the list goes on, but those are just a couple of places where you see the biblical practice of lament. So that's what lament is, at least definitionally. Now, let me share a little bit of historical context of this book of Lamentations. Like, why is it being written and where does it come from? Last week, if you're with us, I referred in our mission statement to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, because we root part of our mission in this, in this Jeremiah 29, 7. And I gave you a little bit of background in Jeremiah. And Lamentations has the same exact background as Jeremiah. They're both written at the time of the fall of the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel had already fallen. So the people of Israel, divided into two kingdoms, have now really ceased to exist as a nation. That happened in 587 B.C. when Babylon came and conquered Jerusalem, tore down the walls, and took most of the people exile and only left a few there in Jerusalem. And so the author of Lamentations, some think it's Jeremiah, some think it's not. We don't really know for sure. But whoever's writing is a contemporary of Jeremiah's. And so the, the circumstances around the writing are very similar. Somewhere between 587 when that fall took place and probably around 550 B.C., the author of Lamentations wrote these five poetic prayers to God of sorrow over what had taken place in Jerusalem, that it had been conquered, the walls knocked down, the temple had been ransacked. So the place where God was worshiped in the world, rightly, where his presence was uh, placed in the Old Testament, has now ceased to, to exist. It's been broken down, right? And so 
there's, um, there's this really strong sense of grief at a national level. Now, that's the other thing I want you to note is that Lamentations is a book of national grieving. So where Job, if you read through the book of Job, that's another book that's full of laments, right? And Job, if you're not familiar with it, is a guy who goes through an immense amount of suffering under the hand of God. And as a result, we see a lot of lament in the book of Job. But that's individual lament. Lamentations is essentially the corporate version of Job, if you will. Where Job is showing what suffering, how suffering is responded to in the individual person's life. There's a sense in which, in Lamentations, what we're seeing is how do the people of God who are suffering respond when they suffer collectively? Does that make sense? So here's the thing we're going to see. There's going to be a couple of places for application for us throughout this book. And there's certainly going to be individual application for us as we read through Lamentations where we're going to say, oh, yes, as I suffer, as I endure difficulty, here's a lesson for me. But we're also going to see a corporate application for us. And I want to encourage you, we'll talk more about this in the weeks ahead, but when you read the old, through the Old Testament and you see promises made to Israel or you see God speaking collectively to his people, don't rush to apply that, whatever God is saying to Israel, to applying it to our nation, as if there's a, there, those things are a one for one, right? Like, oh, Israel as a nation, God says this to them, therefore America, this is what God would say, or Great Britain, this is what God would say, or Australia, this is what God would say. The most direct line of understanding from the covenant people of God in the Old Testament is to the covenant people of God in the New Covenant, which is who? The church, the people of God. And so when we see God saying, hey, my people, you have failed to do this or that, and therefore you're experiencing discipline, the first response should not be to think, how does that apply to my nation? It should be, how, should, how does that apply to me as a part of the people of God, to us as God's people, his representatives in the world? Now, there will be also national level implications because God rules over every nation of the earth, including America. And so therefore he exercises blessing when those nations obey him and honor him and he exercises discipline and judgment when they fail to do that and he does that across the globe and across nations and so we'll see in lamentations an opportunity to apply both at a national level at a church level and at an individual level all right so that's a couple things to understand now last last little bit here uh, about kind of let me talk to you a little bit about structure so here's the other interesting thing i said laments are prayers but these laments are also poems. So there are five chapters in the book of Lamentations, and each chapter is a poem. Now, they stand individual. So what you won't find is a really neat linear development of thought through the book of Lamentations. You're not going to find that chapter 1 talks about this, and then chapter 2 develops that idea a little bit more, and then chapter 3, and so on and so forth. They really are five kind of independent, if you will, laments, prayers that are also poems and they have very similar elements so you're going to see some repetition throughout the book but they are if you will each one could stand alone on its own and then they're put together as a book now here's the other thing as you see these laments that are poems there's a poetic device that is used and we don't use it as much in our day and age but it was a very common hebrew poetic device and it's acrostic do you all know what acrostic is so like if you're in elementary school and you wrote your name and then you wrote like T stands for something and R stands for something and E stands for something, right? It's that, but it's that with the Hebrew alphabet. So it would be like to use the English alphabet if we said A and then we wrote a verse and then we said B and we wrote a verse all the way down to Z. 
That's what the author of Hebrews is doing. Each one of, sorry, four of the five of these poems are acrostics. Chapters one, two, three, and four. Chapter five is not, it's the outlier. So the other four chapters are acrostics. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. You'll notice in, yeah, in the chapters one, two, and four, there are 22 verses because each verse starts with a different letter of the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet. You won't notice this in the English, okay? But in the Hebrew, there are acrostics. Now, here's why that's important. You're thinking, that's a neat little tidbit, but why do I need to know that? Here's why it's helpful. Because two things are implied by the fact that the author of Hebrews is writing in an acrostic. Number one, that he wants to make it memorable. Why do you do something? Why do you give it that kind of form? Because he wants you to remember what he's saying. So that, what does that mean? It means that these aren't just like sort of him gushing forth with emotion and then everyone went, okay, and they moved on. They were meant to be remembered so that they could be called back to. So that when I needed to lament, when something sad happened, when there was something that should grieve me, I could go back to this and recall it to memory because I remember A is this and B is this, or in Hebrew, Aleph and Bet and Gimel. I'm sure you're all very familiar with the Hebrew alphabet. All right. Fair enough. Yes, does it make sense? So that's the first part. That's why one reason for acrostic. The other is this, is that it's really a device to say, our suffering and our grief is so big, it covers everything from A to Z. It is a complete and a full suffering. This is not like, I'm not lamenting because it's kind of difficult right now, because I'm feeling a little blue. I'm lamenting because everything is falling apart. It's, the, the suffering is so complete, the difficulty is so monumental, that I, I, have to, I have to literally use every letter of the alphabet to describe it. Does that make sense? That's why understanding that it's an acrostic is important because he's doing that to communicate at least those two things. Now, that's all I want to give you about the historical background. And friends, that's the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg of all the historical context. And we'll get into some of it as we read through the laments. I'll talk a little bit more about it in the weeks ahead. But the second question I want to ask you then or help you, help you ask today is why is lament important? Let's just ask ourselves why. As we begin this journey... Um, you know, why, if we're feeling sorrow in our, in our national presence together, uh, if this is a hard time under a pandemic, why spend time thinking about lamenting? I mean, shouldn't we talk about hope and joy and happiness? I mean, wouldn't you rather come here and have me talk to you about fun stuff, right, versus lamenting? And let me, let me give you three reasons why lament is an important thing for Christians. Just three reasons why it's important. The first is this. I alluded to it last week. The first reason why I would encourage us to, to really give strong consideration to this book and to come and, and don't check out on me. Don't leave. Don't, I'm called, I'll come back when you're done with Lamentations. The, re, the number one reason is because you can't experience the fullness of hope that you have in God until you learn to lament. So actually, the lament is required for hope. That's, that's important to understand. Now, here's why. Let me explain why. Like, if you're married... Or in a marriage, if, if a couple goes through a really hard, I'm talking about a really hard thing, like the loss of a child, something devastating, if that couple doesn't grieve together, what happens? They grow apart. There's a separation. If one grieves and the other doesn't, if, if um, one tries to act like everything's okay and the other is just deep in, in pain, there's this sense of isolation and fear that enters the relationship and a lack of closeness, but 
if a couple grieves together, what are they saying? I trust you to hold my deepest pain. I trust you to weep with me and to not harm me as I weep. I trust you to share pain with me. What does that do in a marriage? It binds you together, doesn't it? In the same way, if we never learn to lament, now remember, lament is a prayer, which means we're talking to who? To the Lord. If we never grieve to him, and by grieving to him, we're grieving with him, if we never lament the suffering we endure with him, but perhaps go to him and try and put on the happy face all the time and say, God, I'm good. I know you're good. Everything's gonna be okay. If we never learn to lament, we sacrifice closeness to the Lord. We sacrifice intimacy with the Lord. Does that make sense? And friends, what is our hope? Our hope is not just an eternal kingdom in the future. Our hope is God himself. And if our hope is God himself, then closeness to God is where hope is found. And if closeness to God is where hope is found, then lament draws us close to him. Therefore, lament is required for hope. Do you, you with me? You need to learn to lament in order to have hope. And can I just confess to you, I'm gonna be learning right alongside you in this. I am by nature a pretty optimistic person, if you know me. I, people who I work with, I think if I frustrate them, and I'm sure I frustrate them in many ways, but probably chief among them is that I tend to minimize problems and act as if they're no big deal. And generally, I think, we'll solve that. Not a problem. But I know that that can frustrate those who are saying, it's a real problem. We need to acknowledge it. Where I tend to just be like, eh, we'll figure it out. We'll make it through that. And Generally, it's because I'm, I'm bad. I'm bad at recognizing. I, I tend to want to always run to that God is good. He's in control. Everything's okay. I tend to run there real fast. And so I'm learning. I feel like, uh, you know, those old-fashioned washboards? Even as I've been reading and preparing, I feel like God is just taking me over one of those washboards again and again. You're gonna learn to lament, whether you like it or not. You're gonna learn this. And... Um, I'm not doing this so I can learn it and then make you learn it with me. I generally thought it was good for us, but I just want to say to you, like, come with me because I'm going to, we're going to learn it together because it's not something I'm good at either. It's not a language we're really good at, particularly in the American church. We tend to celebrate victory and triumph. And you know, we have reason to celebrate victory and triumph because the, the grave is empty. Christ is raised. His kingdom is coming and we should celebrate that and claim that victory and walk in that victory. And yet, the kingdom has not been established in all its fullness, so there is room for grief and lament still, yes? But praise God that one day we will, no, we will lament no more. There will come that day, but it's not this day. It's not this day. So I'm learning, you can learn with me, I hope and pray you will. Reason number two why learning to lament is so important is that spiritual maturity requires learning to lament. Spiritual maturity requires learning to lament. And, the reason I say that is this, is that suffering is going to be a part of your life. There is no person in a world full of sin and, and fallenness that does not suffer. Some will suffer less and some will suffer more. It will not be equal. Don't look for that. Don't look for everyone to suffer the way you suffer. But all of us will suffer. And there is no guarantee that suffering always leads to maturity. 
Suffering responded to correctly leads to maturity. Suffering responded to in a godly fashion leads to maturity, not just suffering itself. And part of responding to suffering is trusting the sovereignty of God, but part of responding to suffering correctly is lament. It is lament. And when we learn to lament, then we will grow into maturity. So that's number two. You gotta have it if you wanna be spiritually mature. And number three, why lament is so important is that failure to lament makes us forgetful and indifferent. A failure to lament makes us forgetful and it makes us indifferent. And here's what I mean by those two things. When we don't learn to lament and grieve when something is hard, when suffering is present, we don't learn to do that. What happens is two things. Particularly when that suffering has been caused by our sin, which is what we're going to see. Not all suffering is caused by sin, but in this book, what we're going to see is the suffering of God's people is caused by their sin. That is the case here. When you read the Psalms, many times it's not. It's just suffering, and it's, there's, no, there's no sin that is to blame for it, all right? So let's make sure we're clear about that. But here, there is sin to be blamed. And one of the reasons that, remember the acrostic, that the writer of Lamentations wants them to remember is so they won't do those sins anymore so that they'll leave them behind. And lament serves when we regularly lament and learn to, it serves to entrench a commitment to not walk in old ways, in old sins and old patterns and habits in us. It entrenches it in us so that we don't forget. But if we don't lament, we forget the consequences we faced for our sin and then we go right back to the sin. So lament is part of entrenching a, a, a absolute commitment to not return to old patterns. Does that make sense? So we don't become forgetful. The second is that we have a real tendency as people to, when we're hurting, to want others to hurt with us and to expect that they would and actually to become indignant when they don't. And then when someone else is suffering, to be the one who's indifferent towards it. And what lament does is that when we lament suffering that we're facing, it makes us more compassionate to others when they suffer. So that it becomes much harder. When lament's a part of your life, it becomes much harder to become indifferent towards the suffering of others, to turn a blind eye to it, to act like it's no big deal, or to, to cross to the other side of the road and just leave them there and do nothing for them. So those are just three. There's many more, but those are three reasons why learning to lament is so important. Now, here's what I want to give you. There are six parts to lament. I'm just going to hit each one really quickly. I mean, you're looking at the time, and you know I don't have time to hit all these real thoroughly. But you're going to see these six again and again throughout the book of Lamentations. So we're going to keep coming back to them. All I want you to receive today is these are the elements of lament. And I just want you to sit with them and think about them and think about whether or not these elements are a part of your own prayer life to the Lord when you, when you talk to him, okay? Four of these are present in almost every lament, right? Lament is not a real linear thing. It's a pretty emotional thing. It's pretty raw. So don't look for it to be really like nice and orderly. You're gonna find that like this element may start in one and another one may start with a completely different element. Uh, and then it may just go back and forth between them. It's not like it's always this, then always two, then always three. It's not orderly. That's a lesson to be learned in and of itself, actually. So there are six elements. Four of them are present in every, just about every lament in the Psalms, in Lamentations. And then two of them are present whenever the suffering that you're enduring is caused by your sin. Two of the elements are there when the thing being lamented is caused by your sin. And by the way, one of the things that's really important to learn is that it's, it's valuable and actually important and actually mandatory to lament 
when you're suffering because of your sin. I think sometimes we think, well, I brought this on myself, therefore I don't have any right to practice these other parts of lament. You're gonna see that in spite of the fact that the nation has had, is having their sin judged and, and they're going to, they're still going to lament to the Lord and say, this is too heavy for us. This is too much for us. Like, why are we enduring all this? Even though they know and confess that in some sense, it's, they brought it on themselves and it could have been avoided. That's a really good lesson that even when you maybe are experiencing the consequences of your own choices, you can still lament to the Lord. Isn't that good to know? You can still go to him and say, oh, I'm, I'm gonna grieve to you about this. All right, so let me give you the six elements really quickly. All right, number one, uh, I'm gonna give you these to you in the most common order in which they occur. But again, like I said, it's not real linear. So the number one is choosing to talk to God. That's the first element. I said lament is prayer. The first element of any lament is that you are choosing to talk to God. So you'll see all of these laments are directed not just to anybody out there. They're not directed to another person. They're directed to the Lord. That's really important to understand and to remember because here's what happens. We suffer long enough and we usually stop talking to God. Have you noticed this pattern in your life? I've talked to God about this five times. I'm not gonna do it anymore. Talked to God about this 10 times, I'm done. Talked about him 20 times, I'm done. Lament is always, begins with a commitment to talk to God about your grief and about your sorrow and about your suffering. So that's number one choosing to talk to God. The second element is complaint. And this, friends, is the largest portion of every one of these laments by at least a three to one margin. There is more complaint in this book than there is any other thing. By a three to one margin at least. It might even be four to one. That's how much time the author of Lamentations spends telling God everything that's wrong. And when I say complaint, don't hear me say like whining hear me say, bringing to God everything that's wrong. This is wrong, and this is wrong, and that's wrong, and this is going on, and that's going on. And by the way, the people are baffled as to why this stuff is happening, because they can't fathom how they, as God's covenant people, with the law and the temple and the promises of God, how they could come underneath his judgment, even when Josiah the king had brought reforms into place, and they thought they were doing pretty well, and now they're experiencing all these consequences for sin that they didn't even recognize. So you're gonna see complaint again and again. And it's gonna be really instructive to you and I as to how do you complain to God? It's a really interesting, because there's a way to do that that's not so helpful. There's a way to do it that the Bible shows us is helpful. So we're gonna see that a lot. Complaint is the second element of lament. Let me give you an example. Lamentations 3, verses four through 11. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways and blo uh, with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. You're gonna find in these complaints as we look at them that you're gonna get uncomfortable 
with the things that these people, that this person is saying to God about what God has done and how he expresses how he feels about what God has done again and again to him. So that's item number two. Element number three is confession. Now here, this is the first element that's only present when the suffering is the result of sin. And again, in Lamentations, that's the case. And so you're gonna see that there's always or regularly going to be throughout the book an acknowledgement uh, that they have done wrong before the Lord. So Lamentations chapter one, verse 18 says, the Lord is in the right for I have rebelled against his word. I think it's really instructive because the writer of Lamentations is praying a prayer for his whole nation and yet he himself is saying, I've been a part of that. I am partly to blame. I have rejected the Lord. I have been unrighteous. The Lord is in the right, not me. So you're gonna see that confession again and again and again, particularly because these laments are the result of being judged for their sin. Number four is request. That, that the author of Lamentations is going to bring, someone who's lamenting brings their request before the Lord. So there's that complaint, there's talking to God, there's complaint, there is confession when there's sin present, and then there's request, and the requests are pretty bold. The requests are pretty big. And I love that this is part of these laments. It includes saying to God and not being shy about it, would you act? And would you act in certain ways on my behalf? So Lamentations chapter five, verse 21. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old. You're gonna see the author of Lamentations actually say, would you, all the, all the suffering that's coming on us, would you cause those who are wicked to experience that same thing, those who are harming us. I mean, so you're gonna see all kinds of requests coming from the author of Lamentations. In the midst of suffering, here's the thing. It's easy to feel um, that, we, that we have already brought our request to the Lord. Like, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but you know, and then just to stop asking, right? Just to stop asking. and. One of the things that Lamentation is going to tell us is don't stop asking. Part of lamenting is making that request of the Lord. Keep asking him. Number five, this is in every lament, is trust, a statement of trust. And these do usually come at the end after a pretty significant amount of complaint to the Lord about everything going on, about having made requests. There will be in almost every one of the, the laments, a moment where the author says, I, but I trust you. I will choose to trust you. Now, listen, Lamentations 3, 21 and 22 is probably one of those verses that if you've read uh, this before, is one you're fami- this might be the one you're familiar with from the book of Lamentations, where he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Now we, you familiar, some of you have heard that before, right? I sing that song to my son almost every night in bed. I, there's a song, Steadfast Love of the Lord Never Ceases. I sing that to him all the time. You know what's interesting? The stuff I read about being a bear in weight and a lion and being torn apart, that's also chapter three. That's what he says right before he says, I will trust the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He just said, he doesn't hear my prayers. He's hemmed me in. The chains are heavy. It, this, is, this is awful. 
And then he moves to this statement of trust. And we kind of lift that statement of trust outside of the book of Lamentations and don't see that it's really like closely connected to this other statement of complaint. And that tying those two things together is pretty powerful in understanding this statement of trust and where it's coming from in spite of the feelings of complaint and the, the words of complaint that we just heard. Sixth, the sixth part, and this is the other one that is really usually only present when the lament is the result of suffering caused by our own sin, and it's a, a commitment to take action. That's the last part, a commitment to take action. So you'll see numerous times throughout the book of Lamentations that the author says, I commit to do something different than what I did. It's the completion of repentance. It's saying, I'm not just confessing my sin, I'm committing to do something different than what I did before. So I, I will take right action now. Before I took wrong action, now I will take right action or a call to his people to take right action. You have been unjust, or you, religious leaders, have failed us in your leading. That's something we're gonna see regularly. You have failed us. You have lied to us, prophets. You have deceived us. Now, change your ways. Do differently. Silence your mouth. Sit in stillness. Be quiet and wait before the Lord. You're gonna see all these commitments to action. They're gonna come forth, and so we'll see those as well. Now, friends, here's, you know, as we come now to the to conclusion here, I want you to just consider this week, how many, how many of these elements are present in your prayer life? My guess is, if you're like me, not, a lot of them are not that present. I mean, from time to time, maybe. I've, I've always been really uncomfortable with any form of complaint to the Lord, to be honest. And I think this book chastises me for that and tells me to, to change my way of praying a bit and consider something a little different. So I wanna encourage you to think about that this week. Next week, we'll dive into chapter one and we'll look fully at one full lament. Over the next five weeks, we'll take one lament per week. Here's the last, last words of encouragement. I, I wanna point you to Jesus now, having looked at this Old Testament book, as we think about uh, who our Savior is. Think about Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 and 15, where he says this, "'Since then we have a great high priest "'who has passed through the heavens,' Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. In other words, that we believe in him. Don't stop confessing that, that we are his. And then verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Isn't that good? We do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence Draw near to the throne of grace. That's an invitation to pray. Draw near to the throne of grace. Come and talk to him because you have a high priest who knows how to suffer and who has suffered. And when you draw near in lament to the throne of grace, you draw near to one who receives you and welcomes you and listens to you because as you suffer, he has suffered. And he says that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Receive that promise from the Lord, from the book of Hebrews, then as we journey together in learning to lament. So let's stand together and let's worship the Lord. I'll pray. Worship team will come out and they'll we'll close our time together in a song of praise. So Lord Jesus, we are so in love with you. We want our eyes on you. We want to see your goodness and we want to learn to come to you, not just with our triumphs and our victory and 
and not just to say to you, we know you're in charge and we know you're in control and everything's gonna be okay, but to also learn to lament so that we might grow in hope and grow in trust. Help us, Lord Jesus. Give us wisdom and understanding. Thank you for this book in your scriptures that teaches us and uh, perhaps gives us a correction where we have maybe not practiced parts of our, uh, of our prayer life and our coming to you and our relationship with you that we need to. So show us how now in the days ahead. And we pray that the results would not just be that we learn how to be sad really well, but that we grow in hope. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.